Genesis 1. <coughs> now, um, <coughs> I want to start off here in the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, <coughs> uh, many people would have us believe that everything that we see round about us is all by chance. Whether we look at the uh, creation, whether we look at the um, the uh, nations of the world, whether we look at the churches, we look at uh, individuals and so on, there just seems to be in the minds of most people there's just a sort of a, a muddled mess that uh, just sort of, uh, it, it all sort of happened by chance and uh, we just, this world that we're in here, the, the whole universe in fact, if people ever bother to look up into it, that it just all happened by chance and uh, that uh, we all uh, somehow or other began uh, life in a swamp back billions of years ago and uh, and somewhere or other some uh, glug in the swamp turned into some sort of life form which uh, multiplied and we finished up uh, coming forth from there and uh, eventually emerged from the swamp and uh, you know we uh, got up onto uh, four legs for a while and then eventually some of us got up onto two legs and uh, stopped swinging around in the trees and, and all this sort of stuff that people come up with and it just is the theory of man that everything is just by chance, or chance, or however you like to say it. And, uh, of course, uh, they just got all these ideas, and, uh, of course, the way that they run their affairs, it's not surprising that they think that, because uh, there is just uh, an incredible muddled mess wherever man interferes with things. But the story of the Bible is that God really is in control. It's only... Uh, certain areas where man has uh, taken over and God has allowed him for a certain time to to have the uh, dominion over those things that uh, mankind has made the incredible mess that he has. But if we look uh, beyond what man is doing and beyond what he is able to interfere with, you look at the creation, for instance, and uh, the parts where people haven't been, and uh, it's pretty good. In fact, it's, it's really magnificent, it's beautiful. When men get in there, I mean the other uh, animal forms of life uh, are able to uh, sort of find a balance and they uh, uh, seem to get by for uh, thousands of years and then and even people in their primitive state are able to survive there reasonably well and coexist with the other creatures and so on. But then we get into this uh, using this uh, brain of ours and we invent all sorts of evil things and uh, we mess it all up and we pollute the sea and the rivers and the air and uh, destroy the vegetation and chop down all the forests and uh, you know and so it goes on and we get to you know pollute the atmosphere and we you know we get our, our motor cars and so on with their air conditioners in and we let it out into the air and it destroys the ozone layer and all this sort of stuff and uh, so there is chaos wherever man interferes but in the beginning that's the point that the Bible makes. God created the heavens and the earth and it goes through all the details of things. I only want to take one other verse here. The last verse in this chapter, 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And we won't go into all the details of how it all sort of fitted in and so on there tonight. But I just want to touch on a little bit about uh, giving God some, some glory for the creation that he has made. We'll go to the book of Psalms for a moment and we want to look at... Uh, I'll just touch on a couple of psalms here. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so, 
We just uh, look up into the sky and just uh, think for a moment of what God has made. <coughs> it seems to be part of uh, living in the city where a smog doesn't uh, allow you to look up into the stars much. I mean, I've been in London recently and my daughter has just uh, come back from there and, uh, you know, you, you're just hardly ever able to see the stars anywhere up there in Europe because uh, maybe it's a colder climate, more clouds around, but uh, I really wonder whether the clouds um, were there some time back in the middle of summer, maybe a few centuries back in England, you might have been able to look up without all the pollution and see the stars and so on. But certainly in this country, if you get away from the cities, you get into the, out, in the great outback of Australia on a lovely summer's evening and in the night time, and you can get out as I used to do on the farm and uh, <clears throat> at night time and, uh, you know, before the air conditioners came along and we had a, a hot summer, a hot summer's night, maybe a heat wave, and the house would get to really hot with the great big stone walls on the house and so on. The first day or two it was all right and then it would really heat up and it was hotter inside the house and outside. Uh, and at night time we used to sleep sometimes on the lawn and uh, at the front of the house and we'd uh, maybe put a tarpaulin down there and just uh, lie there and look up into the stars and it was just absolutely a magnificent sight. You think things aren't beautiful at Matamakla, you've never looked at the stars because they really are quite magnificent. And uh, even you get away from here, even down to Karakalinga at times, and you look up there and you see what God has made. Well, did all that happen by chance? Is it, uh, is it just, did it just sort of some accident? Was it some, somebody got a big bang theory? Or somebody let off a firecracker and there it all was? I know what's crackers, it's the people who got the idea about it. But the Bible tells us that God made all of this. And there's his handiwork. Stop and have a look at it sometime. Get a telescope. You don't even need a telescope. Look with your natural eye as to what has been made there. Get a microscope and look down at the minute things that God has made. Study uh, an insect or a flower or uh, anything that's, uh, that, that God has made. Look at the beauty of the coastline and, uh, and uh, marvel at the clouds rolling by and all these sort of things. Uh, an amazingly brilliant artist, sculptor, made all of these things as the God that we worship. Let's have a look in uh, Psalm 8, we read in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouths, mouth of babes and sucklings, hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Yes, even children can uh, see the, uh, the, the, the worth of our God better than adults can at times. Verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, when we stop and think about God's creation, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? And so uh, he writes here and he says, When I consider the greatness of the creator and I compare it with the mess that man makes of things, why do you bother with us, Lord? We've uh, made such an incredible mess of things. But of course, that's the story of the Bible, that in spite of our stupidity as a race of people, that God loved us so much that he gave his son to come here and to die for us. Psalm 104, verse 1. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honour and majesty. 
Thou coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And so, as David's writing this psalm here, he uh, waxes poetic and he thinks of, uh, of our God as uh, uh, being one who was just uh, able to draw things out and to, uh, to, to make the heavens like a, we would draw a curtain and so on. Thou layest the beams of his chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariots. He's thinking, there's God just uh, uh, whipping across the sky on these clouds. Uh, we can think about that. Our God is there, of course. He made these things. If he wants to ride on a cloud, he's entitled to. He walks upon the wings of the wind. God's there in all of these things. He makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. He laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be moved forever. Thou coverest with the deep as with a garment and the water stood above the mountains. Thy rebuke they fled and so he thinks of all sorts of things of the flood and all sorts of things that God can bring and so on. Down in verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable both small and great beasts. Think of the great oceans of the world and the uh, thousands of species of creatures that live in there from the great whales down the, 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 the tiniest little uh, um, uh, creeping things, whatever they might be, little uh, marine uh, insects or whatever they are that are uh, there. And, uh, and God made all of this, all the great vegetation that is there, the seaweed and so on. There is beauty in all of these things. There's a purpose in all of these things. It's uh, this wonderful creation that God has made and it's not by chance. It's all uh, been given to us by God. He knows what he's doing. Romans 1. Romans 1. I had all these scriptures down here and I went and read an article on the Reader's Digest just before I came away and, and it sort of um, was giving me a rebuke for putting down all these scriptures because... I didn't get time to read it all, but I read the beginning of the article and it says the first thing you do for public speaking, you get up and smile. I forgot to do that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it does work. You, so you smile and then they finished up by saying, don't talk too long. They said the thing about public speaking, it's like the wheel of a bicycle. The longer the spoke, the greater the tyre. <laughs> so stop and think about that, you see. So uh, anyway, <coughs> Romans 1. We read here in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly, clearly seen. And so God is invisible, but the things that he has made are just so obvious. He put it all there. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And what it's really saying to us here, that the great force, the great God behind all of this, has just uh, given some evidence of him having been there. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed beasts, and creeping things." Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. And so, of course, many other people besides a believer are able to marvel at the, 
the wonders of uh, nature, <clears throat> but they get to worshipping the creatures and the creation itself. I remember being in New Zealand many years ago and uh, Pastor Kevin Hollands happened to be there at the time and we, uh, we, uh, we went, to, uh, I think uh, our children were with us too at the time and we finished up travelling around together and we went into a cave and, uh, <clears throat> and the guide was saying, uh, as we looked at these uh, glow worms or something or other there, and the guide was saying about now this, this means this and this means that and so on and uh, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? And Pastor Kevin says, what about Father God? And, uh, and of course uh, the, the guy sort of uh, gulped a little bit and then he said, uh, <coughs> uh, now, now this, uh, this thing means this and so on. You know, they get all carried away about these uh, stalactites and stalagmites and so on. And uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Kevin was sort of saying, well, well, how do you get that out of that, what you've just said there, you see? He's questioning the bloke on the side. He said, I know it's a road of rubbish, but that's what I'm expected to say on these, these tours and so on. But, uh, you know, people get all carried away and they ooh and ah about all of these things, but they don't want to give God the glory. But the very fact that these things are there and we've got to, the ability to, to see and to hear and to, uh, and to, and to smell and to taste of the great wonders of God's creation, it leaves us without excuse. So we are told not to worship the creation, we're to worship the one who is behind it all. Anyway, uh, hopefully that's a few little points there to make us realise that in the creation of things that God has a master design. He's got a purpose there. Now what about the nations of the world? Well, if I can take you back to the book of Genesis again, to Genesis in chapter 12, and we read here in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Now right back here in the first book in the Bible, God is setting out a plan for the nations of this world. And in particular, he chose a man called Abraham. And he later changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of a great multitude. And he said that, uh, that he would make of him a great nation. He said he would be blessed and he'd have a great name and he would be a blessing uh, to many other nations in this world and so on. And this is really the basis of uh, the story of the Bible, that God chose a particular nation that uh, was to do things his way. And a God who is an orderly being, he wanted to have a nation that, which did things in order. And so he called out this nation and he formed them. And, uh, well, you're possibly aware of uh, the story of it, how that uh, originally that he had uh, this man called... Uh, you got another light on here? There we go, there. All right. He had this, uh, this man called Abraham. Now, Abraham had a son called Isaac in his old age. And Isaac in turn had a couple of sons, but one in particular that the Bible story follows is the story of Jacob. Now Jacob, his name was changed to Israel and he had 12 sons. And the one that seems to get the, uh, the main feature as far as the story in the Bible is concerned was Joseph who was sold by his brothers and went down into Egypt. And there this was to be a time of the forming of the nation of Israel and to, and to shaping them uh, 
uh, and to build character into the nation as they were, were down there and they multiplied greatly and so on, but they finished up being enslaved by the Egyptians. And then along came a man called Moses and they were down there in Egypt for 430 years, the Bible tells us, and Moses led this nation of people out. The story goes they went through the Red Sea and God rolled it back and they were 40 years in the wilderness and then ultimately Moses passed on and Joshua came on the scene and he led them into the promised land. And this was all God working out his plan and his purpose for this particular nation but for them to be an example to all other nations. And this plan was to go on not just through the Old Testament but into the New Testament era and beyond that into the the time when Jesus Christ would return to this earth and he would establish his kingdom here upon this earth and uh, he would take up the throne of his father David. That all comes into the story as well. And uh, he would rule and reign uh, over the house of Jacob forever, we're told. Now, God has got this plan for the nations of this world just as he has a plan for the creation of the universe. He has a plan for the nations of this world to bring them to... uh, the, uh, uh, to the fulfilment that he wants them to have. We'll touch on a couple of other scriptures just to back this up. If we go to the book of Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, talking to this nation, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. And so the Lord said here, he had formed this nation, that's what he did he, uh, he, he put them down into Egypt for a purpose they weren't abandoned down there the Bible says that they cried out to the Lord and uh, he remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and uh, he sent uh, a redeemer a deliverer, the man Moses and of course uh, they, were, they were then going through a different uh, period of, uh, of training for the 40 years in the wilderness and ultimately the time came when Joshua led them into the promised land of course and then they had other things that they had to contend with they had to drive out the inhabitants there and so on and then they had to become established there and then they had to maintain their testimony for the time to come sadly of course they let the Lord down and God's plans for people have so often been frustrated by people and we're going to read here where the Lord promised to these people, verse 2, when thou passest through the waters I will be with thee and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire thou shalt not be banned neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom and Ethiopia and Seba for them, for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight thou hast been honourable and I have loved thee. Therefore I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And I will say to the north, give up, and the south, keep not back. Uh, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Talking of the nation of Israel. This is what God had to do. And of course this uh, goes right through in our time as well. There is uh, uh, many talks that have been given here of uh, the, uh, the, the plan for the nations of this world, of the Israel nations, the people that migrated across Europe 
into the Western European countries, the throne of David that was established in, uh, in Britain after having gone from, uh, to Ireland and Scotland and so on. And all of this is just part of it. I remember talking to Pastor Lloyd Longfield once. He's a, a great authority on all of these things and he can reel off all these facts and figures. Got this uh, incredible computer brain that has stored all this stuff away and he just can uh, peel it all forth and so on. And he said, we're not talking about British Israel. We're talking about the plan of God. And that's what it is. The Britain's only a, a little part of this. There are other nations that are mentioned in the Bible as well. And they're all identified by their symbols and their emblems and so on, the lion and the unicorn on the one hand and there's eagles and dragons and all sorts of things that are mentioned in the Bible as well. But uh, God is working out his purpose and that's what we're establishing here from the scriptures tonight, that it's not by chance that God has a plan, he has a purpose. Just as he created the universe and this world in which we live, he uh, has a plan for the nations and he's bringing it all to pass. We could look at other things. I'm just thinking of an example. Uh, when uh, the Lord told Moses to build the tabernacle and he uh, told him to make all the instruments within it and so on and uh, he told him to set out the table and he said to set it in order and you do it the right way, the way that I tell you to do it and you read about the story of how the tabernacle was built and as each part of the uh, furniture was put in, Moses did as the Lord commanded Moses. God wanted it done a particular way because our God is a particular God. He doesn't want things just uh, running around in an untidy mess. He has a way of doing things. If we do it his way, we'll be blessed as Israel found out. When they did it their way, they were cursed as they also found out. We'll go to the New Testament now. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. What about religion? What about the churches? <coughs> is that just sort of uh, uh, potluck? And, uh, you know, anybody, uh, anybody's guess? I used to think about the churches that uh, the Bible was a bit like a lucky dip. Do you remember the lucky dips? Who remembers the lucky dips they used to have? Do they still have them? Do the kids have them? Do the kids know what a lucky dip is? I used to go to the show and, uh, <coughs> and what they would do, they'd, you'd pay your sixpence or whatever, that shows how old I am, sixpence, and, uh, <coughs> and you, would, uh, you would go there and uh, you could go and you could pull out a stick and uh, I think the only time I ever did it, I was gypped because when I pulled out the stick, it had broken off on the end and there was no prize on the end. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you could get something that was worth uh, a penny or you might get something that was worth threepence. I'm sure you never got anything that was worth sixpence because that's what you'd paid. But uh, <coughs> I used to think that, uh, that, that the churches used to treat the Bible this way, that everybody just went along like a lucky dip and the Methodists were dived in and they got a couple of verses that suited them and the Catholics got a couple of verses. I think that's all they could find that they could twist around and fit into their religion. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses would get a few other verses and so on. I had no idea that God intended that his book should be read, read as an entire plan of life, that all the answers were there and that a person could come and could fit completely into the pages of this book in the way that God wanted it to be done. Anyway, I have a look here in Ephesians chapter 2 and we read in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. And so he says, you were Gentiles. You were a long way off. You didn't know anything about God at all. In fact, we read in verse 12, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. You are no hopers. 
and without God in the world, but through Jesus Christ, been brought near. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, between Israelite and Gentile. No separation anymore, that God through his son Jesus Christ wants to bring them all together into the church. And verse uh, 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or two, one new man, so making peace. In other words, not the Old Testament law anymore, a New Testament living way. And he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And so Jesus died. It was the plan of God. Remember when Jesus was, uh, was suffering in the garden of Gethsemane, the anguish of knowing that he would have to offer himself the next day as an atonement for the sins of mankind. He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew that God had a plan and that he, above all others, had to fit into that plan. Otherwise, there would be no hope for anyone else. And of course, the message to you and I is that if we want to be in the plan of God, we've got to do it God's way. We can't expect to go on in this higgledy-piggledy fashion, taking potluck, lucky dips, just uh, relying on the uh, chaos and, uh, and uh, maybe uh, you know, flip a coin and uh, maybe, oh, she'll be right, mate, maybe. No, there's a, there's a different, definite way of doing things. We've got to make sure we do it God's way. And he came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were near. doesn't matter whether you have felt you were close to God or whether you were a million miles away, the message is the same. It's amazing, our testimony, isn't it? You know, I mean, some of us sort of thought we were fairly close to God in a way. You know, some of us went to church. I was one who went fairly regularly to church and uh, believed in God and so on. In one sense, one might say that I was fairly close to God compared with some of the testimonies I hear here of, uh, of people who, uh, well, what did... Uh, I think uh, Brother Allen there, for the bit I could understand of his testimony, um, <clears throat> seemed to be giving the impression that when he was witness to, that he thought it was a load of rubbish or something like that. And uh, they say rubbish over there was another part of that little island you come from. But anyway, it's, uh, but whatever it was, he laughed at it. I got that right, didn't I? Yes. Rubbish. What I'm saying is rubbish, is it? <laughs> All right. I'll see you afterwards. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, whatever, he, he, he didn't believe in it. But he keeps turning up here. He must have changed his mind somewhere along the line. And, of course, that's what the Lord does for us. Whether you're a churchy bod like me, or whether you were an atheist, uh, a, 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 a drinker of alcohol, or a drug taker, or whatever you were, the Lord brings us together, praise the Lord, into one mighty experience through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's really great. Anyway, it says in verse 18, for through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we both, Israelite or Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. That's our experience. When we received the Holy Spirit, that's when we were born again. That's when we entered into this relationship with the Lord. And that's when our lives started to get organized. That God started working things out for us. And, uh, and the chaos and uh, the confusion began to, to melt away and instead we could say, ah, oh, there's a purpose in all this now. God, there's a reason for living. There's, there's a future for me. I've got something. How many times have I heard the testimony of young people who've come here and they've said, 
There was no way they were ever going to get married. They couldn't see any future in marriage. They didn't want to become parents. What was the point of bringing children into this hopeless world? Something happened. They got spirit-filled. They fell in love. And they got married. They've got dozens of kids now. And uh, well, it seems that way. And, uh, you know, they, they can see there's a, there's a reason for it all. United together in the Lord. Uh, life is worth living after all. And, uh, of course, we bring our children into this world and we bring them to the Lord, they get spirit-filled, they're going to live together, they're going to live forever with us in the Lord. And so we're going to read here, we're therefore now no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Yes, we're all joined together, and uh, no matter what we came from before, no matter what the colour of our skin, no matter what the colour of our politics, no matter what the colour of our religion before, we come to the Lord, we're spirit-filled, and all the rest is melted away. And here we are, happy little Vegemites, rejoicing in the Lord. And are built upon the foundation. It's a great verse, this, verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Yes, you read your Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament that wrote all these things, the apostles in the New Testament, they had things to say as well. And their lives and their writings and their example, there's something which has a bearing on our lives as well. You see, God was getting all this organized centuries ago for your benefit and my benefit so that when we came along here in the 20th century and we looked around and we saw the, the mess that, uh, that mankind had got us into, we could eventually be shown our way through the Bible and we could pick it up and say, aha, uh -huh. Those people in the Old Testament, they had something they were looking forward to. And the people in the New Testament, they had something even more. And that's what we're going to enter into. And so there's a foundation for our lives there. There's a foundation for our teaching. It's built upon the Old Testament and the New Testament, the teachings of the Word of God. And uh, praise the Lord for that. In whom all the building... Oh, I better finish off verse 20. Jesus Christ, of course, is the chief cornerstone. He is the final piece that fits into the jigsaw that makes it all into a beautiful picture. It all makes sense once Jesus Christ is in his rightful place. When he comes into our life and we're born again of the Spirit and we find out what Jesus Christ is really all about, life takes on meaning and purpose. And it says in verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for an habitation or a dwelling, a place of God through the Spirit. And so there is a purpose in creation. There is a purpose for the nations of this world. There is a purpose for the true church. Don't worry about the religions that are all round about with all their crazy mixed up and argumentative ideas. But the church of the Bible, the one that is subject to Christ, the Spirit-filled ones, made up of individuals who are born again of the Holy Ghost and walking on in his ways. They know what it's all about. They know what they're here for. They know what's waiting for them around the corner. And we are a part of that. We're builded together for a place to God to live by his spirits. And, uh, well, um, <coughs> just a couple more verses. Um, and it, uh, in, uh, we'll go to Hebrews 11, but while we're going there, I'd like to re refer to a scripture in 1 Corinthians which tells us that God is a wise master builder. 
And uh, it tells us also that Jesus Christ is the foundation. Let's bear that in mind. Hebrews 11, we'll read in verse 8, it's talking about Abraham here. And uh, we referred to him before. And it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. When he left the air of the Chaldees, and he hopped on board his camel and rode off into the sunset, and uh, he didn't really know where he was heading for. All he knew was that God told him to go. Uh, a verse like this helped me, and I was sort of talking about this. I can visualise the time 35 and a half years ago, whatever it was, when I jumped into my camel, it was called a Holden Utility, and, uh, and drove uh, away from the farm with my parents and my young sister sort of uh, sitting there with a, an unhappy look on their face, standing there as I drove off. I didn't drive into the sunset, I was heading east, not west. And uh, I was driving into the sunrise. And of course, uh, I didn't quite know where I was going to finish up. You know, uh, I didn't know I was going to finish up preaching to you lot, did I? You didn't know you were going to finish up having to listen to me. And, uh, but that's where we finished up. Abraham didn't know where he was going for. But somehow or other, when, the, when God takes control of your life and you head off, you know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Ordered by the Lord. That sounds like we're sort of uh, organised, doesn't it? And uh, so praise the Lord. Abraham, he went out. He didn't know where he was going to finish up, but he knew God was guiding him. And by faith he sojourned in a, uh, a land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He lived in tents, but he knew that there was a city waiting for him. And of course, uh, the days of our sojourning here are very temporary. We might live in tents and uh, we might uh, quite not know where the next meal's coming from at times or what's just around the corner, but uh, there's a purpose, there's an order in the whole thing. Our God has got a future for us there. And of course, in uh, Isaiah 9... Isaiah 9, I should have believed the reader's digest and quit while I was ahead, but anyway, you mightn't think I forgot ahead, but anyway, we're here in Isaiah 9, uh, we read in, uh, in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, talking of Jesus of course, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counsel of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, get it organised and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. You know, in the New Testament church, we're told when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and they were a disorderly lot, they were spirit-filled but they weren't taking notice of the instructions and he wrote to them and he said, you better listen and you better listen good because you've got, you're out of line here. And unless you get it right, you're going to be in big trouble. That's the way it translates into Australian. But, uh, you know, they had, they had their doctrine wrong. They, uh, the, the, the gifts were out of order. There was immorality that was tolerated. And he said at the end of uh, chapter 14, he said, let everything be done decently and in order. Get it right, because that's the way that God is. He's organised and he expects us to be organised along the lines that he set down. Anyway, we'll finish up in Romans 8. And it tells us here, <coughs> Romans 8, just a little thought for each uh, individual person. Verse 28 of Romans 8, And we know 
That's the things that upsets other people about us, isn't it? Because we know and they don't. You know, they uh, you go and witness to people and they they get annoyed. You're so sure of yourselves, they say. You you know, we come across as being self-righteous. We're not. We're God-righteous. We we know that our God is right, and we just got this incredibly strong faith in Him, and we've got this personal relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit. And so we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So he's got it all under control. We don't understand everything. We don't know in the morning which, uh, uh, what's going to happen to us, you know, whether the, the car's going to break down or whatsoever, you know. Funny things happen to us, don't they? Coming back from Elizabeth meeting last Sunday night, filled up with petrol, and um, driving along, an incredible smell of petrol around the place. Couldn't work out what it was and so on. Got home, had to get the RAA out and all this sort of thing. There was petrol running all over the driveway. There was a, a, a hose that had uh, got a hole in it or something or other, get it fixed up the next day and all these things. We all get funny things happen to us like that, don't we? And uh, so particularly those that drive Volvos. Should have stuck them at Kingswood. Anyway, <coughs> shouldn't we, Rex? Guess who was driving my Kingswood last week? Anyway, praise the Lord. All right, but all things work together for good. The Kingswood's still there, and uh, that'll probably break down tomorrow. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> yes, I bragged about it up at Elizabeth a few years ago before I got the Volvo, and uh, and uh, Peter Engels, who's, uh, you know, he's a businessman. He likes to drive around in a, a Jaguar and things like that, you see, and because uh, he was sort of uh, listening to me bragging about my wonderful Kingswood. I went to the Gawler show, and uh, guess where the Kingswood stuck me up? Just up the road from where Peter Engels lives. And he came along and sat in the back seat of the Kingswood and gave me heaps until the RAA turned up. But anyway, praise the Lord. That's what brothers are for. Anyway, praise the Lord. All things work together for good. How on earth we got on to Kingswoods and Volvos, I would never know. But to whom he did foreknow, that's what we're looking for. God knew. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. And him, moreover, him he did predestinate them, he also called on him, he called them, he also justified them, he justified them, they also glorified. Now, what does all that mean? Okay, what I believe it means is this, that God could see in God's plan, he could look forward, he could predestinate, he could see you and I, in 1994 or whatever year it is at the moment, and he could see us, where we would be at that particular time. And he said, ah, there's a little bright light there. There's a few little bright sparks in this dark world. And so I know what I'll do for those people. I'll get a plan going so that those who want to opt out of the chaos and the disorganisation of this world and want to get on board my system and want to be a part of my great eternal plan that goes beyond the pages of the Bible. I'm sure it must. God's got other exciting things. I mean, forever is a fairly long time. And so God's got things for us. And so those who want to be in it, he's made a way so that we could be conformed to the image of his son, that we could become like his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could uh, get into this time capsule and we could just uh, fly through eternity and we could uh, be a part of it and all this sort of thing. And so we could be conformed to the image of his son. We won't get there in this mortal frame of mind. We've got to be born again. We've got to have our minds uh, renewed, uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so those that he planned, he called us. Come over here. 
do it my way. When he called us, he justified us. He said, all right, you're prepared to leave your way behind. You can repent of your sins. Get baptised in water. We'll bury that old life. We'll get that out of the way and I'll give you a new life. I'll fill you with my spirit. You'll be born again. You'll speak in tongues. You'll be glad you came and, uh, and you'll be glorified. You'll just uh, be changed and all the old things will just drop off and behold, all things have become new. And what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, he can be against us and all the people said, Amen.